We have been scammed. We have been robbed, not just of our money, but of our freedom and of our power. It was taken by a small handful of narcissistic psychopaths. And it's time to take it back. Welcome to the Father's Day. I am Jesse Lee Peterson. Thank you so much for being with me. I totally appreciate it. The Father's Day is now on Locals.com. So click the link in the description to support our work. And thank you in advance. Mama Mia, gracias. I do appreciate it. I have with me Spike Cohen. He was the uh, Libertarian Party candidate for vice president in 2020. And it's the founder and chair of You Are the Power, a nonprofit dedicated to libertarian activism. That's amazing. Right. Thank you for coming on, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, Jesse. Thanks for having me on. Yes. What is a libertarian? What's the libertarian party all about? What is it about? So a libertarian is someone who recognizes that we do best when we're most free. And also recognizes that the problems that we're facing right now are as a direct result of too much power being in the hands of too few people. Uh, libertarianism, if you look at the uh, what we are told is the foundation of this country, which is that uh, everyone is created equal and that we should be able to uh, have our freedom recognized and affirmed and protected. That's what libertarianism is all about. And we just want to go to a uh, we want to have a freer society because we know that when we're freer, we do better. Have you always been a libertarian voter? No, I have not. Uh, I actually used to be a, a neocon. Uh, I was uh, very much uh, a Republican neocon up until uh, like the mid 2000s. It was people like Matt Kibbe and Ron Paul and, and others who kept pointing out that if you want a smaller, uh, limited government that uh, respects your freedoms and, and, and protects and affirms your freedoms, you're not going to get it by building a global empire that you know uh, is constantly at war around the globe and is uh, spying on you uh, on every. Uh, move you make here. And uh, it took me a while to recognize it. But after a few years of them uh, drilling at home, they brought me home into libertarianism. And what is a neocon? So neoconservatism, and some people call it neoliberalism, but really it's just another form of warmongering. Neoconservatism is when is the way I would describe it as uh, it was neoconservatism is the Republican version of the Democrats neoliberalism, which is sort of this idea that the United States government should be used as the world's policeman and should be, uh, you know, engaging in a constant set of wars to liberate people and keep us free. When the reality is it's doing neither. It makes us less safe here. Yeah. Uh, it causes millions of deaths overseas. Really, all it does is pad the pockets of the same, uh, you know, military industrial complex that owns both parties. I agree to that. So, Ron Paul is the father of Rand Paul? Yes. And so, but Rand Paul is a Republican, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Ron Paul, uh, in 1988, ran, uh, Ron Paul ran for president as a Republican, but in 2008 and in 2012, he ran for the Republican nomination. So yeah, he, they are both members of the Republican Party. So if they were for uh, Libertarian, why were they Republicans? Well, Libertarianism is a belief. 
So there is a libertarian party that's founded on libertarian beliefs, but there are libertarians in, in all parties. Uh, Ron Paul and Rand Paul are Republicans who, at least most of the time uh, for Rand Paul and pretty much all the time for Ron Paul, f- their beliefs fall under the libertarian ideas, like the philosophy oh. of libertarianism. So you, you, you support the First Amendment, Second Amendment and all those things? Absolutely. Yeah, I support the entire Bill of Rights. Right on. Um, so you ran as vice president at, mm-hmm. uh, for the Libertarian Party, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And then when you were running, there was a woman that was running for president of the Libertarian Party. Yes, my running mate was a, a lady named Joe Jorgensen. Yeah. Did you feel weird running as vice president and the woman was the pre- running for president? Was this kind of weird, like uncomfortable? Um, not really. It was uh, that was what the libertarian delegates chose. The, it, what's interesting is uh, our party does it differently than the Republican or Democrat parties and the Republican and Democrat parties. They pick their uh, presidential candidate and then the presidential candidate picks their vice presidential running mate uh, in the libertarian party. Our delegates actually pick the presidential and vice presidential candidates separately. So they chose to pair me with Joe. And were you happy to be under her? Joe Jorgensen was not my first, second, third, or fourth pick, but that was who the delegates chose. Right. I got you. So um, you're the founder of and chair of You Are the Power. What does that mean, You Are the Power? So the way I use the term you are the power is to tell people that most people feel powerless in this system. They feel like the best thing they can do is, you know, every two or four years they can show up and and vote for the same people that created the mess that we're in right now and, and hope that this time around they aren't lying. And there's not much else they can do. And what we're doing with you are the power is we're showing people that they have way more power than they thought they did. In fact, it's the government that doesn't have the power that they that they say that they do. They really only have the power to uh, to to do to us what we consent to, uh, what we are allowing them to do. Once we withdraw our consent, and if enough of us refuse to do so, and enough of us pressure them to do the right thing, they have to do the right thing. And so that's the long and short of what we're doing with You Are the Power. I mean, we can get into the details of the activism work we're doing, but that's the message we're sending with You Are the Power, is that you have the ability, you and us working together have the ability to fix every problem that we're facing right now that's being created by the people in government. Yeah. During the 2020 presidential election, you ran on a platform that promised free ponies, <laughs> mandatory toothbrushing, no, the killing okay, of ba- so, baby Hitler. Yes. And, so, uh, and baby actually, um, Woodrow Wilson. Baby Woodrow Wilson. So, technically, if you kill baby Woodrow Wilson, there's no need to kill baby Hitler, but that's a whole other story. So, uh, <laughs> what, what, that, uh, what that talks about is during the uh, Libertarian Party's uh, uh, contest for running for vice president. I ran a pretty satirical, at least initially, a very satirical campaign. And the purpose of it was I honestly didn't think that I had a shot of winning. I was really using it more as an opportunity to get people's attention and talk to them about the kind of activism and the kind of work as libertarians we should be doing. And so I'd use that kind of tongue in cheek stuff just to get people's attention. Oh. It apparently worked because then they picked me as their VP candidate. <laughs> But no, that's not a serious policy proposal. I'm not I'm not proposing. Although if I I mean, I if I could go back in time to kill baby Woodrow Wilson, I would absolutely do it. Uh, But, you know, we can't do that. Are you an anarchist? Yes. And what is that exactly? 
An anarchist, at least uh, my belief in anarcho-capitalism, is a belief that when we talk about the fact that government is a bad way for government for, for society to do most things, we actually believe that government's a bad way for society to do anything. Uh, it's a uniquely bad way for humans to organize. It's based on force and coercion and threats and theft and murder and threats of those things. Uh, and I think that uh, we would do far better under a free market society that's based on competition and cooperation instead of coercion and force. Amazing. Did I read that you're married to a black woman? That's correct, yes. Wow, that's going to be hard on you. <laughs> no, no, my wife is the most incredible woman. That's funny that you would say that because my wife is actually the most incredible person. Uh, the people that have met her can tell you firsthand, uh, including me, we can tell you firsthand. She is, uh, uh, she's not just, and I know I'm biased, but in my opinion, she's the most beautiful woman ever to exist. Uh, but she's also the most brilliant woman and uh, most thoughtful and caring. Uh, she is, uh, it, it, I would say probably my crowning achievement was convincing her to marry me. Really? Why a black woman? They're like, are you Jewish, right? Yes. And why not a Jewish woman? Why would you want to marry a black woman? Because once you go black, you can't go back. You can't? Right. That, honestly, that's fine. Here's the thing. I'm in this marriage for good. I told my wife recently, you know, we're, we're in, we're locked in at 12 years. At this point, I'm good for the next 100 years. Uh, so I really don't want to go back to anyone else anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I, when I was looking for a partner, uh, I, for a wife, I wasn't really concerned about color or ethnicity. I was concerned about the character of who they were as a person. And uh, my wife was, uh, you know, head and shoulders above anything else I was saying. So how do you deal with her anger? You know, like when she's just mad about nothing. You wake up in the I morning do. with a smile and she want to smack you because she wake up unhappy. How do you, how do you there, deal with her I, anger? I think there might be some projection about other black women that we're talking about here. No, my, uh, my wife is incredibly slow to anger uh, and is very much my peace and my helpmate. Really? Are you the head yeah. of your wife? Am I the head of my wife? I'm definitely the head of the household. How about your wife? Are you the head of your wife? I'm not sure how to answer that. I think, I think we're all the head of ourselves as people, but I'm the head of the household. And so are you the head of your wife? I, like I said, I'm not sure if we're using the same semantics or terminology. I'm the head of the household, but I don't, think, I don't think any person is the head of any other person. I think that we're each individually the head of ourselves, um, but I'm the head of the household. But God said that the husband is the head of the wife. He didn't say the house because it's her responsibility to clean the house, make the meals, clean the children, you know, watch over your kids for you. But the husband is the head of the wife. Have you ever read that in the scriptures? I haven't read that. I've heard that the husband is the provider and the head of, head of the, the family and that the wife is the helpmate or right. helpmeet. Right. Yeah. And so... Are you the head of your wife? Since God said that the husband is the head of the wife, are you just the head of the house and not your wife? I guess by that definition, sure, yeah. Like I said, I haven't heard that term before, but I mean, I'm I'm certainly the the in charge. Yeah, I'm I'm the head of the household. But That's not the your way wife. I've always heard it. Oh, so are you? Is she Jewish or is she Christian? She's Christian. And so she never mentioned to you before that you're supposed to be the head of her. It didn't come up, no. It did not. What the? Um, so you're, you're Jewish and she's Christian. How does that go together? How does that How work does that together? Go together? Yeah, two different religion, religious beliefs. How well, does, so first of all, 
just to, to clear the air on that, um, my idea of faith and uh, metaphysics and, you know, the, the question of why we're here and everything, I'm personally of the belief that that is so in the same way that we have trillions of organisms inside of us that have neither the perceptive nor cognitive ability to understand the greater system that they're a part of, I think that we're in a similar circumstance where we have neither the cognitive ability nor the perceptive ability to understand the greater thing that we're a part of, and that all of the various faiths and religions and, and, and ideologies, including atheism, are an attempt to try to explain it that is already an act of futility because we, again, don't have the, we, we don't have the ability to even be able to perceive or understand the purpose behind what, what it is that, that we're a part of, much less to be able to articulate it. Amazing. And so because of that, you, you, the Christian, your wife and the Jewish guy, you, uh, you, I, I, how, how does that work? Though? Does she think that way about God and all that too? No, she's a born again Christian, and I am fully supportive of her faith and her faith journey and her her spiritual walk and everything else. So, what is a born again Christian? A uh, born again Christian is someone who has uh, repented of their sins and and uh, been baptized in the faith and uh, and uh, believes to Christ to be the the Messiah. Do you believe that about Christ? That he's I, I don't. Like I said, I I think that all of the various faiths that are out there are attempts by a people who cannot possibly perceive or understand uh, why the, all of this exists, what it was created by, how it runs, and what our purpose is to try to explain that. What's important to you? What's important to me? Yes. What's important to me is to try to manifest my profound appreciation for my time on this, in this life and on this planet uh, in trying to help others and relieve suffering and promote prosperity and, and help people as much as I can. So you are a Messianic Jew. I think I'm saying that yeah. right. Yeah. So I was raised in the Messianic Jewish faith. Messianic. And those are uh, Messianic Jews are basically Jews who believe that Christ uh, was the, or is the Messiah. Oh, uh, you know who Dennis Prager is? Yes. Are you the same kind of Jew that he is? I, is he a Messianic Jew? I honestly, I know he comes from a Jewish background, but I didn't know if I didn't I know he was Messianic. I don't think he's Messianic. So Messianic Jews believe that Jesus is the son of God. Yes. So Messianic Jews are kind of the, the original Christians. Uh, the apostles were really just Jews who believed that that uh, that Jesus was the son of God, that right. he was the Messiah. Oh, okay. um, so that's really the Messianic Jews are kind of a continuation of that faith. Some people also use the term first century Christian and, and things like that. That's the faith uh, that I was raised in. Um, oh, but like oh. I said, the more time I have, I have spent on it and thinking about it and researching it, I've come to the conclusion that it's not necessarily that Christianity is wrong or this faith is wrong or that faith is wrong. I think that we are trying to define something that we don't have the ability to be able to fully understand or or process. So do Messianic Jews believe that you must be born again? So there are two different, uh, so Messianic, yes, Messianic Jews believe that you must be born again in the faith. Now, there are some Messianic Jews who believe that Jews who don't believe in Christ are already grafted in by the Abrahamic covenant. And then there are other Messianic Jews who believe, no, once that new covenant was created, when, when Christ died, uh, that even the, even Jews, all Jews also have to be born again and have to take Christ as their savior. That's a, a disagreement within the various, I guess, sects of Messianic Judaism. What a mess.
<laughs> That's a good way to describe it. Yeah. And so, how do the, the how do the Messianic Jews get along with the Jews that don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God, and they're still waiting for the uh, the Savior? For the Savior to come? Yeah, I, I always got along well with Jews. Now, if your question is, do non-Messianic Jews believe Messianic Jews to also be Jews? I believe most don't. I think they think that once someone believes that the Messiah has already come, then they're not a Jew, they're a Christian. Um, but in terms of getting along, I, I've always, most of the Jews I've known were not Messianic uh, that I've known growing up and, and even into my adulthood, and I've always gotten along fine with them. And they knew I was Messianic. The um, there's another group of Jews that wear the long strings when they put on their clothes. They have like strings hanging away from. The Hasidim, yeah, yeah. That's a messianic. No, no, no. Well, I there are uh, th- those are ultra orthodox or Hasidic Jews. Oh. There are Hasidic messianic Jews, uh, but I would say the vast majority of of Hasidic Jews uh, are not messianic. The vast majority of Jews in general are not messianic. It's, that's crazy, man. It, it, it reminds me of the Christian religion, too. You have all different types, like oh, the yeah. evangelical Christians, the mm-hmm. uh, Pope Christians, and yep. all kind of. How did they come Baptist, about? Pentecostal, Catholic, everything else. Yeah. Why does, if everybody just, if they all believe in the same God, they just believe in God, why do they have so many sectors of everything, like the Jews well, and the Christians do? Why don't they just be I, one? So my theory, and I mean, you can take this for the, with, with a huge grain of salt because I'm hardly a theologian. I believe what happens is when we are trying to explain something as important as why are we here? What is our purpose? What happens after we die? Very quickly, you can fall into this kind of legalism. Uh, you know, you have a common set of beliefs that have been written down, and then you start sitting there and parsing out specific sentences that were written, and what did this mean, and what did that mean? And there can be these schisms that happen based on an interpretation of a single sentence or even a single word that leads to an entire church splitting into two. Yeah. Uh, historically, it's led to wars and deaths and all sorts of other things. And again, I think this all comes from people who are trying to uh, trying to uh, explain something in the same way that if if the you know the the uh, microbiome that are in your gut were trying to figure out what this whole thing was all about had no way of being able to process the fact that they're part of a human being's digestive system but if they started arguing with each other they'd end up in some weird argument about you know very vague things and yeah. they might end up start fighting and killing each other when the reality is none of them have the have any hope or any ability to even be able to know that i rarely talk about religion here i am i'm someone that talks about politics which is one of the most controversial things out there right yeah. but i rarely talk about religion because it's it is something that people believe very strongly in, uh, including atheists, which atheism is a form of a faith or religion or, or belief system. Um, and none of us can prove each other right or wrong. We're all theorizing. And I think it makes more sense to just my, my belief is that if you the charitable interpretation of every faith that is out there is very simple. We have a very limited amount of time on this earth. We should be appreciative of it, and we should demonstrate that appreciation in the way that we treat ourselves and others. And I think if we do that, I think we do a lot better than arguing with each other over sentences and scriptures and words and books. Very good. I noticed that when when people uh, put a title to something like um, Baptist or Pope or whatever, it, it yeah. feels like ownership. They think they own it then. 
And if they think they own it, you are not allowed to disagree with it. But if they yeah, didn't put a title to it, it would be no problem. Yeah, I think that's a good point, actually. I think the more that you label something, the more you're defining it and the more you're opening up the potential for argument over that label and the definitions behind that label. And if it's something as important as why am I here, you know, what rules over me or is does anything rule over me? Is there is there a purpose to my life? What happens when I die? That's something very close to you, right? So if you've yeah. labeled that and you said this is what I believe and this is what I believe everyone else should be doing as well and someone comes in and goes, no, actually, you got that sentence wrong, you're going to take that very personally, right? Like that's a challenge to yeah. your belief system and to your, to, in, in a way to your, to your self-worth. So yeah, I think that's the problem with labeling. And I think it's also the problem with trying to spend too much time on arguing about something that none of us can factually prove or disprove. That's true. It reminds me of when someone dies and the family and the friends and the preachers speak at the funeral Every person go up front and say that this dead person going to heaven. Oh, Lord, <laughs> I know I'm going to see John in heaven one day. John right. was a good man. And then yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, the ones that have been abused by John, they go up front and they know he's in heaven. I'm like, how do you know he's in heaven? You don't know that. Right. They couldn't right. even stand the person if- while they live, but when they die, they go, they go on to heaven. Right. If if you believe in that faith, then statistically, at least some of these people aren't going to heaven, right? Like the, no one gets up and says, well, unfortunately— John probably was going to hell, so we should probably focus on the things we liked about him here because I hope we don't see him again because that means we're in a bad place too. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that, but but that speaks to something, right? That's a coping mechanism. They they miss that person. And even if they know deep down by their own definition, he probably isn't where they wish he was, you know, they're, they're, they're saying what they can to help cope with the fact that they miss him. And I think it would be more useful to say, I really miss him. Yeah, but I don't know where he went. Where he's going, but I just miss him, you know. I miss him, exactly. Yeah. I don't know where he's going, and I, but I miss him. That is amazing. Um, you have children? I do not, no. Oh, you and your wife don't have children? No. Why not? I, it's, it's a very personal thing. But oh, we, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's the only reason to get married is to make children, right? <laughs> think so listen listen look man the reason i married my wife was to lock her down because i i was not going to do any better than that in my life so that that's my purpose for getting married i have an incredible incredible uh uh, partner in this life that has made it exponentially more enjoyable to live and are you uh were you looking for love when you got when you married her i was looking for many things love was definitely one of them or or someone to share in love with uh, also someone to build a future with someone who shared similar values as me. Um, someone that I was, uh, frankly, someone that I, I thought was attractive and I, I definitely nailed that one. Um, but I, I was looking for many things, but yeah, sharing in a, in a, in a, sharing love with someone was definitely one of those. So once you married her, were you shot or disappointed to find that women don't have love to give? <laughs> um, I know because I don't believe that's true. Where, where does that come? Where do, I, I'm curious. Why, why do you believe that? Women don't have love. Women receive love, but they don't have love okay. to give. The love well, comes from God through Christ, through the man, through the woman, through the children. It doesn't. Okay. Yeah, they don't have love to give. They receive love from the man who received it from Christ. That's interesting. I don't. I don't believe that. Why so, not? No, I wasn't surprised because I don't believe that's true. Why I, not? I don't believe that. I don't believe that love is something that comes down from a, uh, a paternalistic figure uh, down to uh, males who then give them to females. I don't. I don't Where do you that. think love comes from? 
I think love is an emotional response. Um, and it comes from uh, all sorts of things. And it's also the type of love we're talking about. In this case, romantic love comes from the fact that you are uh, both in love with the person that you're sharing your life with and the fact that you're in love with the fact that you're uh, sharing your life with that person and you get to share in that love together. So who create love or created love? I'm not sure I have an answer to that question. I think that we, we, in the same way that we can create our own happiness, we can certainly create the conditions that lead us to be able to have more, more love. But I'm not, I'm not sure that love is something that was created. I don't believe love was created by a specific entity. Really? You just think it came out of thin air or something? Well, I I don't think it, I think that love is, is an emotional reaction. Well, who created the manifestation? Who created the emotional love? Yeah, see, this is this speaks to the question of who created everything. And like I said, I don't think that I don't think that any of us actually not only do I think any of us know who or 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 how these things were created, I think that we don't even have the ability to process the question of who created all of this, why was it created, how does it run, what is the purpose behind it, what happens after we die, those types of questions. Those are all existential questions that I think that we are so low on the totem pole of being able to understand it. I think what looks like chaos and cataclysm to us, if you zoom out far enough, looks like perfect harmony in the same way that if you zoomed into your gut and saw the wars and genocides being carried out by trillions of, uh, of, of different living creatures, li- different microbiome, it would look like a cataclysm. But you zoom out and it's your digestive system in perfect harmony. Um, I think it's probably a very similar thing. But again, I don't think that we have the cognitive or perceptive ability to even be able to, to understand it, much less be able to explain it. So if you believe that, why do you call emotion love? If I believe that, why do I call emotions love? Yeah, you said love is emotional. Because I believe that love is an emotion, yeah. So if love, in this emotional thing you call love is love, why does that turn to hate, turn to love, turn back to hate? It goes back, it, it's never consistent. It doesn't, it changes up and down from hate to love, love to hate, because that's what emotions do. Emotion yeah, based on how you make someone feel. Right. Yeah. So uh, your emotions change. It's not that love is turning to hate necessarily. I guess you could define it that way. But I would say sooner that you're feeling love in one moment and then in another moment you might be feeling hate or yeah. anger or hope or happiness or sadness or whatever. I think these are all emotions that are elicited from both st- things that are happening internally and things that are you're experiencing externally as well. So have you ever considered that emotional love is not love? I haven't. I also wonder how much of our our what we're doing right now is less of a disagreement and more of a differentiation in terms. Well, I do know for sure and without a doubt, emotional love is not love. That's why it switches based on it goes up here, you feel good, they call that love. Then it goes down here, you feel bad, and they call that anger, which it is. But this fake love of feeling good is hate as well. That's why it doesn't stay. Perfect love is the same all the time. No matter what the condition is or what happens, the issues are in life, that love, because it does come from God, and it's dispassionate. God's love is not a passion. It's dispassionate. The devil's love is passionate. It's emotional. And so 
the people who think that they are in love and all those different feelings is uh is love, they are being deceived. And that's why you're constantly looking for something or someone to make you feel good so it can bring you out of that bad feeling temporarily, but that doesn't last either. It, it yeah, I don't think, I, I will say I do agree with you on one thing. I think that the idea that you can find happiness or love in this perpetual state through other people or other things is false. First of all, you shouldn't be trying to find your happiness in others or other things. Happiness is something that you create and you can share it with others. But I think the other thing is that uh, there is no, you know, this is sort of like how like, uh, you know, a yin and yang type thing. You can't have good without bad, right? You can't have light without shadow and darkness. Uh, all things have a contrast to it. Right. So in the same way, I don't think that you can truly have just this perfectly uh, loving, emotional, or, or, or I know you're saying not emotional, but this this perfectly loving experience in all things, uh, because naturally, uh, the reality is that you're not always going to feel the same way about something. Um, now, you mentioned God's love, but there's also been in, in scripture, there's plenty of references to God's wrath and God's hatred and, you know, all sorts of different uh, you may not want to call it emotions, but all different feelings that God would have at various times. Um, so even within scripture, God was not always, uh, is not always described as uh, experience a state of loving in that moment. But God has never, and does not have emotions and he doesn't have the anger that human beings have. And human beings are comparing their emotion, their anger and their fake love to that of God when it has nothing to do with it. God's love is perfect peace. And it's that way in all situations because he separates you from the situation with his perfect love so that you can overcome any situation because emotions are of the devil and anyone that has anger has emotions. And that's why uh, uh, they're not able to deal with anything because they don't realize that Satan is their God and not the true God, not the God above, but the God below, which is the devil. So then, like in the times in scripture, um, and, and I'm, I honestly, I don't have an answer for this, so I'm interested to your, get your thoughts on it. In the times in scripture, when it describes that God got angry or that God got upset or that God regretted something he had done or that God was, you know, hateful of something, are you saying that wasn't emotional? And if so, like, what, how would you define when God was experiencing those things? How would you define that? Well, it was discernment. That's why okay. when, when you return to the Father, you overcome that emotional state of being that comes from the mother and you become like the father and the father operate out of discernment, the ability to see injustice and deal with it without uh, becoming like it. Because if you resent or be angry, which is the same, then you become like whomever, whatever makes you angry. You become subject to it. But if you didn't, if, if you didn't resent it, and operated from perfect love, then you could not and would not give in to evil. You would deal with it in a strong way, but you would not hate it and you would not give in to it. 
That's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah, I think that I'm not sure any of us meet the ideal of never experiencing emotional reaction to things, but it certainly falls within the belief that, you know, you should uh, respond to things and and rather than having just an emotional reaction to it. I don't think it's like I said, I don't think it's possible for us not to experience things like anger or resentment or hatred or sadness or anything like that. Uh, But it it certainly makes sense to to uh, figure out how to deal with whatever that thing is. Uh, as as you put it, as dispassionately as possible, uh, figure out why you're having that reaction and dealing with that as opposed to just living within that reaction. That that I agree with. I, I will say I think a lot of because you're a uh, I believe a, a Christian, yeah, and because I don't think that this is something that can be defined in in the belief systems we have. I think a lot of there there are probably things we're disagreeing on, but I think there are also a lot of things where we're maybe using different ter- differentiations and terms uh, to describe largely the same thing. I agree with you that all people deal with anger. That's because all people are born through the woman. And as a result of born through the woman, you become emotional like her. Uh, and because she imposes her will on you and recreates your, her image, which is the image of the devil. And that's why God said, all who are born through the woman of the flesh must be born of the spirit. And that's how you overcome. And that anger that's in the woman is not her Nature is an abnormal nature made a home in her, which was passed down to Eve. Uh, when Eve believed a lie, that the devil became her god, and when when Adam believed the woman Eve, the woman became the man's god. But thank God He sent Christ so that we can return to the Father and overcome the woman. Have you noticed how women are men's god? The man can't deal with them properly. When they break up, he he feel like he lost his god. Uh, he's always looking for mama's love because he became like what he hate. When you're mad at mama, you become like mama. You, you become angry. Uh, you start to live in your imagination. You have fear and doubt and worry. But once you're born by forgiving your mother for turning away from your father and being born of your father, loving your earthly father, then all that stuff starts to disappear and you can have an amazing life right here on earth. But you got to so forgive a- your mothers. So there's a few things there. Um, I'll just do them in the order you said them. Um, so first of all, the uh, I mean, yes, I have seen that people who men who, you know, lose their relationships with women, they deeply regret it. They obsess over it. They, as you put it, make it their God. Uh, but I've also seen the same in reverse. I've seen where women who lose men act the same way. I've seen men who, uh, you know, regret not having better relationships with their mothers, but I've seen a lot of the, the probably more of the reverse with women who regret not having a, a strong father in their house or, or that their father was absent or that they didn't have a good relationship with their father. So I'm not sure it's this binary men are experiencing one thing and, and women are experiencing the other. I, I think that yeah, people it come through are experiencing the wo- it that. It comes through the woman, though. That okay. evil that I, we I, see yeah, on earth, that evil that we see on earth comes through the woman until she overcome by forgiving her mother for doing it to her. God will forgive her as well, and he will rebuke the spirit of the devil from her and replace it with his spirit, which is of love, love, perfect love. Yeah, I, I don't believe it's something that uniquely comes through the woman. Also, you mentioned did you uh, believe that when it happened to Eve against father? You you mentioned mothers turning their children against father. My my mother certainly never did that. How do you she, know that? Because she didn't. How do you know? I have a because she was. Uh, my parents have both been incredibly supportive of my having a good relationship with the other, and there was no there was no break in that. There was no 
My, what, what would be an example of my mother turning me against my father? While raising you, did she do anything that you resented at the time to you? Both of them did things that I resented. But usually, how about, how about almost always, they were things that, in retrospect, they were right and I was wrong. Did your mother do anything that you resented at, while growing up and you wish that she would stop or not sure. do or blah, blah, blah? Yeah, but again, so like my dad. Like what, for an so. example? Oh, I mean, usually, I mean, typically telling me I shouldn't be doing something. But again, she was usually right. I, at the time, you know, she didn't understand and I knew better than her, but she was actually right. And when you would tell your father, when you would tell your father to have her to back off, what would he say? Would he do that? Make her back off of you? Uh, it was usually uh, him that was the disciplinarian, so I wasn't usually having to tell him to have her back off. So when your mother would irritate this you, you... The, this is, I just want to take a step back. This was not the interview as I was expecting. It's a very interesting conversation, but I was not expecting this. Right. So one last thing about that, because I do want to ask you more questions about different things. Did sure. you, when you would tell your mother, to, your father, to have her to back off, would he deal with her for you when you were young? Can you ask that again when I'm asking who to do what? When you ask your father to make your mother back off, you know, to stop yelling at you or trying to control you or being too mother, whatever she did. Uh, and would he have her to leave you alone, back away from you? I don't think that ever happened because my parents were a united front in pretty much everything. Like if I was being told by one not to do something or to do something, I was being told by both of them. So your father would go along with your mother? It wasn't going along with. They were parents. They were they were parenting me together as parents. And would he agree with her when she would do those things? They would agree with each other as parents. Yes. How about your father? Would he agree with your mother when she was doing those things? Yes, and she would agree with him when what? he was doing but, those things. What? They would both agree with each My <laughs> father would agree with my mother in the same way that my mother would agree with my father. They were parents that were parenting me together. And at the time, were, did you think my father is a beta male for agreeing with her? When you were young. No, I. No, <laughs> no, I didn't. No, no. I mean, I will say this. I resented the correction I was getting from my parents, but they were right. I mean, all, pretty much always, they all, almost every time in retrospect, they were right. I should have listened to them. Amazing. I would have avoided years of, uh, of bad decisions. But no, I, I don't think that he was a uh, I don't think either one of them were were betas because they were they were sharing together as being parents to their to their child. That's amazing. Do you believe that racism exists? Of course it exists. I think well let me say this. Race doesn't exist. Race is a construct that is created to divide people. We are all just people. I think racism, which is the belief that one's race is uh, superior to another race or to all other races, uh, you know, racism and racial supremacy, those things certainly exist. But they're based on a faulty concept, which is that you and I are different because of your skin color. That makes you somehow different than me in, in any way other than the fact that your skin color is different and the fact that all individuals are at least somewhat different. Um, so race is not a, a real thing. Uh, but, you know, the, the belief in, in racial superiority or racial inferiority, that's absolutely real. You make, uh, but it's based on a false thing. Why do, why do black people believe that, and not all blacks, but most, not all, not all, not all, but most. Why do most black people believe that white people are superior to them? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's uh, true. Why, why, that don't, they, why that, you don't think that? That they, that they think 
Are you saying that they think that white people are superior to them or they think that white people think they're superior? to them? No, the blacks think that white people are superior to them because they say it all the time. You always hear the blacks talking about how superior white people are to them and they can never catch up. So I hear a lot of things blamed on racism that aren't because of racism or where racism, even if racism does play a part, it's not actually stopping people from being able to succeed or move ahead. Ironically, it's usually like upper middle class suburban white people saying that. But why do black people, most black people believe that whites are superior to them? I don't I don't think that most black people believe whites are superior. Well, why are they always saying that if they didn't believe that? I've not experienced this. You don't hear them this. blaming everything. They're, you know, they're failure to deal with life. You don't hear them blame, blaming on white supremacy and uh, white this and white that. You don't hear them complaining like that. I would say I hear a lot more uh, upper middle class suburban white people blaming the plight of, of non-white people on racism than I see uh, people. So you don't hear a majority of I, black people saying that. Saying that all of their uh, saying that everything that they're going through is a result of racism. No. Now, I will say this. I think that the majority of people in general have gotten used to blaming uh, external uh, uh, things, both real and perceived uh, on things that they could still be fixing themselves if they if they put, you know, so you don't hear black people always cry white supremacy, this and racism, that and white supremacy. They're like losers crying because they can't be like the white man. I see. I, I well, I wouldn't equate someone blaming something on racism to believing that white people are superior. Then why do they say it? They have to say, believe it in order to say it. Well, no, they believe that that the white people in that case believe that, but I don't think they're saying they believe that. Like, so for example, if uh, if I <laughs> if I believed that the reason that I'm doing, you know, that I wasn't doing better in life is because uh, of anti-Semitism. Uh, which I don't. I think I'm actually doing very well in life. And I think anti-Semitism has had essentially no uh, role in my life one way or another. It's just the bad opinions of stupid people. But if I did believe that, that wouldn't mean that I was agreeing with the anti-Semites. That would be just me thinking that it was anti-Semites that were causing these problems. But it, it wouldn't mean I, I would agree with the precepts behind anti-Semitism or, or white nationalism or whatever. That was an insurrection done to America by the radical, radical Fat black lesbian, uh, uh, Black Lives Matter group. They are mosses. They are, they were trained mosses, according to them. They hate the order of the family, and they went around the country tearing down statues and monuments and setting fires and destroying businesses. And people were killed. Police officers were killed, and they were calling it white supremacy. They were calling it racism. You didn't hear any of that. Well, here's what I saw. So in the summer of 2020. Did you hear any of that first? Did I did I hear individual people that did you were hear the Black Lives Matter people? Yeah, did you hear the Black Lives Matter folks uh blaming all their mess on white supremacy and all that kind of stuff? I saw some people doing that, but you said the 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 majority or the vast majority of black people, and I don't think that you can take a what turned out to be a, a bit of an agitprop protest group. Uh, to be the thoughts of of all or even of, of a large majority. No, of, you're right about that. But if, if you talk to the average black person, except for a few, not all, not all, not all, but most, they would tell you that, 
They will tell you that they believe that white supremacy exists. They believe white people are superior to them. Yeah, that has not been my experience at all. Really? I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I, and it is not from a, a lack of exposure to black people. So I, that's not been my experience. So you know, I, I, but you said you heard them say that white people I think heard, that they are superior. Well, no, I've heard to- some people say that. I, I've heard some people say that, but I've not heard a majority or most or, or even a, a, what I would call a large plurality of them doing that. No, I, I here's what I will say. I saw uh, in summer of 2020 uh, in the midst of the worst a uh, single wholesale abuse of the rights of the people, which was the COVID regime and the lockdowns and mandates and all of that. I saw in the midst of that and all the misery that was causing, I saw what started as a natural and and organic reaction to an increasingly out of control police state uh, turn into uh, you know, riots and uh, turn into uh, funding for uh, candidates like Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, who were the architects of that police state. Uh, and then I saw on the other side, I saw people who didn't recognize the problems with the police state who were uh, bl- uh, uh, simultaneously blaming the police state for failing to do anything to stop the rioters and the looters. And I wish that those two groups of people had taken a step back and realized that the the police state that was killing people and not being held accountable and being given military equipment and very little accountability and immunity in court uh, was the exact same system that these people were upset were doing nothing to stop the rioting that had been created by their actions. Um, And so I wish that they had realized that they were largely they were against the same opponent. But instead, as is usual, the ruling class played them against each other, divide and conquer. And uh, and that's how that played out through the whole summer of 2020. There wasn't a single policy change, a significant policy change that happened at the federal level. Uh, And uh, someone who cheer led the police state got replaced with the architect of the police state in the White House. Uh, So nothing good happened from that. Well, you know. And we all have noticed that most black people are just angry and out of control. They have no sense of self-control. Why are the black, like for example, they have uh, taken away the bail bond thing, no bail bond, right? And and no police now. The police are gone. And the blacks are just gone out of control. Where are the police gone? Where are the police gone? Uh, defunding the police and... And there, that never happened. There are places that was a, like that was New York and, but, and and uh, Wisconsin and other the, places where a lot of police have, have quit and, and went to uh, Miami, Florida, somewhere at red states, right? But what I want to know from you, what is it wrong with the blacks that they have no sense of self-control and they go out of control? They have yeah, no so shame. What's wrong with them? Yeah, that's not, I don't agree with that. So here, but Why here's don't what you I will agree say. with that? Because that's not true. You can't say that all or even a large majority of black people have no control. I didn't say all. I said most. Not all, not all, not all. I don't believe that most do either. But I I want to talk about the defund the police thing, Jesse. Yeah, I live in America. I want to talk about the police state thing. You don't see that most blacks are out of control? I want to talk about the police state thing. No, I I don't believe that. So I I think that if if 13% of um, black people make up what, 11, 12, 13% of them, I think if 13% of Americans or even let's say 10% of Americans were truly out of control, then you wouldn't be able to go outside. It would be worse than Mad Max. Well, that's common. It's almost at that point right now. I don't, I don't believe that. So I want to talk about the defund the police. You you mentioned the defund the police thing. I just want to talk about that for a minute. 
defund the police never actually happened. Police departments are getting record funding. Uh, Joe Biden tripled federal funding for police departments. It went from, uh, I think, 140 or 150 billion dollars under Donald Trump to nearly 500 billion dollars under Joe Biden. It was one of the first (laughs) things he did when he was in office. Where are you Uh, getting that information from? They have record amounts of funding. They have record amounts of of, of equipment. And uh, and like I said, there hasn't been an actual policy change for police to be held to the same level of accountability that you or I are. That still hasn't happened. They still have so qualified immunity. True, they still have powerful police unions protecting them and and uh, you know uh, uh, circling the wagons around them when, when one of their officers does bad. And what that leads to is it actually incentivizes bad policing and punishes good policing. It, it punishes the ones who step out, who speak out, who, who try to whistleblow to how the system is, and it discourages good people from getting involved in policing. So I think That's that amazing. has far more to do with any problems in policing than the, the defund, which literally which did not happen. I mean, it, it, any major proposal to so they're lying uh, about police defunding. departments or, or reduce uh, uh, amounts of funding just it haven't happened at any, maybe at a local level or something, but certainly not at the state and definitely not at the federal level. Where so are they uh, lying to us about the defunding the police when they say that? Were they lying to us? I think a lot of them were lying that that's what they wanted to so do. So why you can't did the police say, stop protecting us from them? You can't say I want to defund the police and then support Joe Biden, who is the architect of the police state. If you look at Joe Biden's policies over his nearly 50 years in Washington, D.C., he is the man behind civil asset forfeiture. He is the man behind the war on one of the main people behind the war on drugs. He is one of the main people behind the militarization of the police. He has either been at the head of it or one of the main people behind every major uh, change that led to us going from having uh, police whose main purpose was to well, enforce laws and protect people into becoming essentially a, a military occupational that. force. I happen to What's agree that? because you're right. The reason that blacks and liberal whites still support Joe Biden knowing all those things is because they're not able to think for themselves. The government has been taking care of them. And so now the blacks are addicted to the government and that's how they're being controlled by the Democratic Party. So I do agree. That's why they keep voting for Joe Biden. They are not able to take care of themselves. They need the government. The children born out of wedlock, the men, the black men are no good. The black women are angry and controlling and relying on the government. So you're right. That's why they keep voting for the Democratic Party. But you what added I, some things I didn't say there, but okay. No, I'm, I'm just agreeing with you that that's why they support the Democrats because the blacks are incapable of taking care of themselves. I well, want to I want to prove ahead, to you that racism doesn't exist. Okay. First of all, when I was growing up, there was no such word as racism. I never heard about it, and no one was ever blaming and calling the police brutality and white people racist because during my younger days, the blacks understood that it was a spiritual battle. It's a warfare between good and evil, right versus wrong. There are evil people and there are good people who return to God. And so they knew there were good white folks and good black folks and bad blacks and bad whites. They knew that. Mm -hmm. And so they said, treat others the way you would like to be treated. Mm -hmm. And then along come uh, the so-called civil rights movement, which was the worst thing that ever happened to black people uh, because they turned their lives over to Martin Luther King and Jesse Jackson and all those people. And blacks have been going downhill ever since. And so they really just made up that word in order to put fear in white people and control them to get their stuff for nothing without earning it. And so um, 
but our battle is a spiritual battle. It's a warfare between good and evil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spirits and wickedness in high places. And so it's about that. It's never been about race or racism. It's been good versus evil. And unfortunately, most black people today are evil, and they love being evil, and they are being used as evil, and they don't mind it. They call it something else, but it's evil. So I do think the root of it is good versus evil, but the people who were implementing things like slavery and Jim Crow, the people who seceded from the union, they explicitly stated uh, that the reason that so like, for example, when the states, the, the states that became the Confederacy, when they seceded from the union, all but I believe one of them, I think Virginia was the only one that didn't uh, explicitly said in their what they called their Declaration of Causes, their version of their Declaration of Independence from the U.S., all of them uh, explicitly st- stated that one or their main reason for seceding was what they perceived to be the right of white men or white people to own uh, black people or Negroes or whatever they, didn't they call say them. It that way. That yeah, they absolutely no, said it because that way. That there, was that, there were a whole bunch of black people who owned slaves during those days, that's too. True. No, that's true as well. As a that's matter of fact, the black slave owners treated the blacks worse than the white slave owners. I, I don't know if that's true, but no, I do know, true. again, that the— that and and the fact that there was slavery uh, because of a belief in white supremacy doesn't mean that there weren't also black people that owned slaves. That's historically true. I mean, there were black people that owned slaves. There were many but black when, people that owned slaves. By their own words, the people that seceded from the union, the people that implemented Jim Crow, they did so because of what they perceived, what they stated as their belief that they were uh, morally, racially, however you want to call it, superior as white people to black people. So by their own definition, they were doing it by what we would call racist or white supremacist reasons. Now, that doesn't mean that there weren't still bad black people. It doesn't mean that there weren't black people that owned other black people. Uh, but it does mean that the at least the, the for the people that were implementing these things, their stated reason was what we would now call white supremacy or actually what they would call white supremacy and what we would now call racism. So that doesn't mean We're, racism doesn't exist. No, racism does not exist. I, and the Jim Crow law was about the Democratic Party not wanting black people to be a part of its party. And that's why they started, the blacks and the whites started the Republican Party because they were not welcome. And, and during those days, black people knew that too. They knew that it was about the Democratic Party not wanting blacks to be a part of their party. That's what the Jim Crow thing was all about. But I got to ask you this. Um, when would enough be enough for the blacks? We have given them... We've given them welfare checks. We have put their men out of the homes and let the woman pretend to be man so she could get her welfare check for as many babies as possible. And no matter how many men would give her the babies, we have given them uh, affirmative action. We have given them the white community, which they end up destroying once they get them. We have given them now reparations happening. We allow now these angry black women, these angry black women to take over our government and the white businesses, the white schools, and they're destroying those things. When would enough be enough for the blacks? When would they say, okay, white people, we got it? How much more will they continue to beg, blame, and fight for free? How long? For free stuff. How long? Well, I think everyone's fighting for free stuff right no, I'm, I'm now. I'm talking so about the blacks. When will the blacks 
being say, okay, wife, oh, that's enough. Thank y'all. We appreciate it. Well, I want to, I want to say two things there, Jesse. Can I you think, answer first that all, first though? Well, I, it's based on a premise that I don't agree with. So I have to explain oh, you why don't, I don't agree with that. I, really? Why I not? I don't think that there is a specific thing of black people that are receiving, uh, that are, uh, receiving some special dispensation that has been specifically benefiting them and that in fact if anything if you look at the welfare state the purpose of the welfare state which was something that had originally been tried with the native americans and was successful was to break up the black family you know if you think about during slavery during jim crow during all of these different things during things like the uh the uh the uh what's the native american with black wall street uh with all of those things um what kept uh black communities being able to to pick up from those and then thrive and in some cases do better than the white people in those same areas was the fact that they had such a strong family unit right and the uh the the purpose of the welfare state was explicitly to break that up that was that was lbj's main purpose there right, right? but uh, the, similar but the thing civil rights leaders supported that well, martin luther king and all those people supported that Oh, I, I will. Here's something we absolutely agree on. I think that we all should have been listening to uh, Booker T. Washington and Malcolm X and ignoring people like Martin Luther. Well, I shouldn't say ignoring people like Martin Luther yeah, King. Ignore we certainly him. should have been ignoring W.E.B. Du Bois. Yeah. And I think that Martin Luther King, if I were in that area, I would have cared a lot more about what uh, Malcolm X or uh, what Booker Washington prior to them yeah. had said. Then then because because what the thing is, Martin Luther King and W.E.B. Du Bois were people that were put forward by white liberals to present to black people that their way forward wasn't economic liberty or social liberty, but political freedom or political power. Yeah. And the thing is, if you are telling a minority that the way that they should achieve power is to appeal to a majority rule system, you're scamming them. That's the ultimate scam to tell a minority here, use the majority rule system where you're reliant on the majority, even though you're already walking in as the minority. Instead of you should be building up your families, you should be building up yeah. your, your businesses and your communities. So on that, I think we probably agree 100 percent. We do. But what that would mean is that I don't see welfare as free stuff. I don't see it free. The they, they're not earning that, it. They're well, landing on their backs having babies. I think it comes with the strings attached of destroying the basis of what what was able to keep black people thriving in much worse conditions in the past. Yeah. Um, so I think it actually was a net harm to black people. And I think you could argue that it was intentionally so. And if it certainly wasn't intentionally so initially, it was definitely intentionally so moving forward from there. Let me um, ask but you so, because of so that's why I, I when you say enough is enough, I think it's more about black people and really everyone realizing that anytime government gives you something, it comes with so many strings attached yeah. that it largely ends up leading to a net harm to you and everything you care about. So do you give me a quick yes or no on this one because of time here. Do you think the blacks will ever stop begging? I don't think that that's what's happening. Oh, they don't they never stop. I don't I don't think that I don't think it's different than any other people right now. No. But you're saying that you don't believe they're ever going to stop begging. No, I'm saying that I, I don't I don't think that begging or expecting handouts from government is a uniquely black thing. But I'm asking you, do you think that they will ever stop? I'm not sure that people will ever stop thinking that government is the answer to their problems. How about the but blacks? But I also don't think it's. I don't. But the same for the blacks as everyone else. Uh, give me a short answer. Do you believe that police brutality exists? Of course it does. Why do you believe? Why do you believe in all these crazy things? Why do you believe that? Uh, so I can show you a video of a of a disabled 
uh, homeless veteran uh, in Gastonia, North Carolina, just one example, uh, who was complying with the police. Uh, and uh, they responded by uh, arresting him, even though and they, you can see from their body cam footage, he was complying. He was listening to all their orders. They arrested him. They assaulted him. They tased his service dog, his PTSD service dog. The dog later died. Then they lied about it to their su- supervising officers. And then the DA desperately tried to cover up uh, that body cam footage to keep it from being leaked to the public. So there's just and that one you'll prove that police brutality is this, right? It's one of many examples. Yes, that's amazing. Do you love white people? I love everyone. Yeah. Do you love white people? people? Sure. I love white people. Amazing. So listen, (laughs) one last thing, then I got to put you on the hot seat. Is this not the hot seat? (laughs) This, this show should be called the hot seat. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, let me ask. Sure, go ahead. Go did, ahead, man. Did you vote for the Great White Hope? Uh, not unless that was Joe Jorgensen, no. Oh, uh, why? Why didn't you vote for the Great White Hope? Are we talking about Donald Trump? I'm assuming. Yes, sir. No, I, yes, I didn't vote. Listen, together we will make America great again. Amazing. Why did you right. vote for him? Right. So Donald Trump said that he was going to protect our right to keep and bear arms. And instead, he was a cheerleader for red flag laws. He passed more gun control regulations than Obama and Clinton combined. Uh, he said that he was going to first he said he was going to end the national debt. And then instead, uh, he increased it by seven trillion dollars in stuff, one man. term than any what other the? president before him. That's he why said he was you didn't protect vote for our him? freedoms. He, what's that? Is that's why you did not vote for him. Yeah, I, I voted for I didn't vote for him because he didn't do any of the things but he said then, he was going to do. But you what, didn't what know he did what was you didn't know for sure expanded the size of government. You didn't know for sure what he would do or would not do before he ran. I mean, before he took office. So if all that stuff you're saying is true, and I don't know if it's true or not, you didn't know that in advance. Though, why did you vote for him before all, you learned all that? I anticipated that he would do what he always does with any of his initiatives. He said, did well, you vote yes, for because the- he has a long history of saying he's going to do one thing and then doing the other. And that's exactly what he did. You know, you look at the did COVID you vote regime, for the you look at the Messiah? lockdowns and the mandates, you look at the worst single example right. of blatant wholesale right, uh, abuse right, of the rights of the people, time here. Did and you Donald vote Trump for- empowered all of that. Did you vote for the uh, Father Messiah? Who was the Messiah? The Father Messiah, Barack Obama. Did you vote for him? No, I did not. I've never voted for a Democrat in my life. We're good. So listen, I got to heat up this interview and put you on the hot seat. (laughs) Even more? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's do it. I need you to answer these questions as quickly as possible. I will do my best. The hot seat. Do we need more white babies? Sure, we need all, we need babies, but I'm not, sure. Were women created to lead or to follow? I think that I can tell you in my in my home, I'm the head of the household. Uh, but I not the head that, of your uh, wife. We don't want to go there again, do we? <laughs> <laughs> I think that people should be able to form their own relationships and determine who's in charge there. Yeah. So were they created to lead or follow the women? I, I don't think that that's how that works. I think that that people determine uh, as individuals, what what their role is in life. Do you follow your wife? Do I follow my wife ever? Yes. I, I'm not sure how to answer that. True or false, abortion is worse than slavery. 
I think it's apples and oranges. I think abortion is a is an absolutely grievous thing, though. Uh, is America the best country on this side of heaven? Generally speaking, I'd say so. Yeah. Did the bear shoot? Do the bear shoot in the woods? They have to. Yes. <laughs> Oh, should a man ever, 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 but ever tell a woman his problems? Sure. Yeah. Wow. Um, who would you rather see as president? Hillary Clinton, Camilla Harris, Nancy Pelosi, Big Mama Michelle Obama, or Hunter Biden? Jesus, this is like the worst. That's the worst question you asked me in all of it. Um, God, what are my options again? <laughs> uh, Hillary Clinton, Camilla Harris, um, Nancy Pelosi, Big Mama Michelle Obama, or Hunter Biden? Hunter Biden would just stay cracked out the whole, t- whole time and not accomplish anything. So probably Hunter Biden. I think he'd do the least harm. <laughs> do you agree that any man who has anger is actually a woman. <laughs> no, because we all have anger. So no, I don't, I don't agree that all men are women. No. Uh, does a chicken have lips? Uh, no, it has a beak. Will you be running for president in 2024? I don't know. That's not a decision I'll make until next year. Did you have fun? Yes, this was an interesting experience, yes. (laughs) Well, thank you for taking on the hot seat. Thanks for coming on. I do appreciate it. Tell the folks how to get to your website or whatever you're offering out there. Sure, absolutely. So first of all, uh, coming up in October, uh, I'm going to be at an event in Miami called LibertyCon, which is hosted by Students for Liberty. Uh, That's my last big event of the year. So be sure to come out to that. If you go to LibertyCon.com, you can find out more about all the exciting stuff we're doing there. If you want to follow me, uh, I am on all social media. Uh, You can find me on Spike. If you look for Spike Cohen, you'll find me. If you just go to the newest ATF post, you'll see me on there roasting the ATF. Uh, And if you want to find out more about You Are the Power and the work that we are doing to help uh, show people how how much power they have, have and, and to try to grow the liberty movement one community at a time, go to youarethepower.net. Amazing. Scott Cohen, thank, I mean, not Scott, but Spike Cohen. Scott Cohen's my brother, so that's fine. Really? Well, Spike yeah, Cohen, yeah. thank you so much, man. That was amazing. I enjoyed talking to you. Thank you, Jesse. Yeah, I appreciate it. Amazing. Amazing. And thank you all for tuning in. Don't forget to like, follow, Check out uh, uh, The Father State on Locals.com by hitting the the link on the video description there. And let me hear from you. Like, follow, ring the bell, check out our merch and all those good things. Thank you, folks. I appreciate it. (laughs) 